Okay, welcome everybody to the First Impressions podcast. Um, I am Kristen, and I am joined by my dear friend Maggie. We are your First Impressions podcasters. And this hello, is everyone. Pod- <laughs> this is a podcast. I never, I never give her space to say hello. I just talk right over. It's true. I just bust in now. My way. <laughs> it's a podcast about our love for Jane Austen and a space where we can talk about it away from the haters and all the people who want to make fun of us. And so, and what do we, what do we give to the people who make fun of us, Kristen? We give a big middle finger. We might even That's give right. two. Two middle fingers this episode. Oh, I gotta be. I, I was doing it for the video. I gotta be careful. I don't want to be too vulgar for the on the YouTube video because people can actually see. So we are doing this podcast um, over Google Hangouts on Air. It's another one that you could view on the uh, YouTube channel if you so chose. Although I am not wearing any makeup. Um, well, I'm not either. <laughs> I mean, I don't. Let's be honest. I don't think people are really uh, gonna sit there and watch and watch us talking heads for hours. Yeah. I think that like me, listen to it when they're at work. Yes. And or right. cleaning the house. <laughs> they're in a bath, they're in a bubble bath with a glass of wine <laughs> and their headphones <laughs> listening to me and Kristen pontificate their, on Jane Austen. Their me time. Their Jane Austen <laughs> me time. Um, so Kristen, why don't you tell everyone why we are recording over Google Hangouts? Well, Maggie and I used to be located in Northern, you know, the same physical area in Northern Virginia. I have now moved to Boise, Idaho. Um, my husband got a new job in Boise. And, and so um, did you. Has, you got a new job too. <laughs> uh, that's true. <laughs> I have a new job <laughs> and I have a new office in Boise and everybody is really nice to me. And by the way, it's, uh, this is a lesson. It's the hard lesson to learn. But like we all grew up saying Boise with a Z. But when you move here, everybody tells you right away it's not pronounced that way. So don't pronounce it that way because people will be like, know it right away that you're not a native it's it's boise with a very soft are you serious so you have to say boise 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 but is it is where is the emphasis on the syllable is it boise or is it boise it's boise it's the first where do you do you hit the b boise um, you hit the b boise exactly and okay. so it's Boise. like Boise. Okay. I mean, we say Boise, but you have to say Boise, Boise, because Yo, it comes, I live in Boise now. I don't know why everybody's so into it, but I mean, it came, it comes from the French word, bois, which means tree. Boise, <laughs> <laughs> so that, anyway, anyway, side tangent, um, Jane Austen, Boise, Idaho connection with Jane Austen. Yeah. And of course, she our traveled friend, here in her youth. What's that? She oh, traveled in her youth. Boise in her youth. <laughs> Uh, much of Mansfield Park was based on my 1960s <laughs> mid-century modern home. Uh, yeah. The ha-ha, yeah. especially. But even, uh, you know, during the whole uh, chaotic occasion, you know, up, you know t- time period up until my move, um, you know, we've been doing some episodes that have been a little easier on me because we haven't been doing the major novels. We've been doing like a uh, movie commentary and uh, special guest Arnie. And so now we're back to an actual, uh, we're going to talk about the text today. We're going to talk about Lady Susan. Uh, it, uh, you know, not a major work, but um, original Austin work nonetheless. And as many of you know, love and friendship is coming out. And so our next podcast after this will be about the movie. But today we were going to talk um, specifically about the book, uh, the, the, the novella, and um, which, of course, like all of Austin's works, is available online. It's you know, there's no copyright on it. It's just it wasn't published until about 50 years after her death. 
So um, I had actually never heard of it um, before. I think you sent me the trailer, or you posted it on our Facebook page, on the First Impressions Facebook page. And so that is when I first, I, I assumed that I'd heard of Lady Susan before, but I'd never really thought of it as one of the major books, like as a Jane Austen novel. So I hadn't read it, so I lied when I said that Northanger Abbey was the only one I hadn't read, because I had obviously not read Lady Susan until I just did. So like you were saying, it was published 50 years after she died. So from what I read, it was written in 1794, yes, and when then she not was published until like, 1871. And, and it's a really interesting work to read when you're like a scholar of Austen's life and her evolution as a writer, because it really is the first uh, one of the first pieces that... Um, really stands on its own and that you can like read as though it's a book. I mean, she finished other things, of course. She was like 18 years old, I believe, uh, when it was written, if we take the 1794 uh, as, as, you know, the year it was written. And um, she, she wrote it before, you know, before she really sunk her teeth into writing Eleanor and Marianne, which of course is the name of the first draft of what later became Sense and Sensibility. Sorry, and Lady Susan is like the first draft of Sense and Sensibility, an epistolary novel, which means that it is written in the forms of letters from the characters to each other. Yes, Eleanor and Marianne is epistolary. And of course, Lady Susan is epistolary. Right. So at this time, she was um, she was experimenting with this style of writing. And I think that this is, is key. I, I think this is a key to... Um, to, to understanding Austin and unlocking Austin, because this idea of the epistolary form, where you uh, you get letters back and forth from the same author but two different people, um, mm-hmm. highlights the the way we are different. Um, it's our our own personal multi- multiple personality disorder. In other words, we present ourselves very differently to someone we don't know as well versus our BFF, where we say any raunchy, hilarious thing that comes into our head. <laughs> and um, and I, I think that the uh, dichotomy between who we really are and what we really think on, on the in this inside and who we have to present to the world is a key to Austen. I mean, you see that over and over in her characters mm-hmm. when, um, you know, Elizabeth Bennett, of course, under, she's so much smarter than everybody else, but she still treats them with respect. She has to put her mind into a place where she, she presents herself. She doesn't present her, her real true self. And you, we can't, you know, we can't do that. And that's the key to Austen is exploring how to live your life and deal with that problem. And um, I, I think that the, the very beginning of Lady Susan, I mean, when you start it, it's two, um, it's Lady Susan writes two letters in a row. Well, let's, let's, let's wait before we. Oh, that's right. Cause we got to do, we got to do a plot summary. Yeah, we'll do it. We're going to do a plot summary, but I, and just talking about the epistolary format in general, I generally hate epistolary novels. Um, <laughs> I think Dracula is an epistolary is a very famous example of an epistolary novel. Um, I tried to read the huge novel Clarissa um, when I was in high school, which is also, was a very successful epistolary novel of the time, I think of the 19th century. And I just have always disliked the format. But what you were saying about how it shows different sides of the characters, I loved it for Lady Susan, and I thought it worked really well. And as you'll see when we talk about her, because she is basically a sociopath, yeah. so her ability to hide her character and present different faces is basically all that she does. So this format works remarkably well 
for examining her character and her acting ability and the different masks she wears uh, with different people. So I think just talking about the format in general, it, it works really well for this, for this novel. And here's another interesting key or fact about Austin's life is that her sister, Cassandra, after, you know, Jane Austen died, burned a huge number of letters Mm-hmm. And why did she, and then in addition, you know, later Austin's niece burned a, a, another trove of Austin's right. letters. You know, we can assume that it's because these letters between Jane and Cassandra, Jane was saying her true opinions about people and being Maybe funny. Maybe she was totally catty. <laughs> she was, I mean, that has to yeah. be it. I mean, they were so close, this female friendship, and they could say yeah. anything to each other. And so, of course, and they were talking about, like, the cute butts in the neighborhood. And, yeah. <laughs> and this, is, this is the other thing that I think is fascinating, is that there is a passage in Persuasion, and, of course, we'll talk about that much later, where the main character, Anne Elliot, reads a letter that is very not complimentary to her and her family. She gets to read this private correspondence and it makes her blush. And then she thinks, but no one can be judged on what they write in their private correspondence towards others. And I, you know, I I think that's Austin (laughs) saying that a little bit for herself. Yeah. She doesn't want to be judged. Please don't. I mean, you don't want to read the text that like Kristen and I send each other. (laughs) Yeah. Like, oh, Kristen and Maggie, they seem so nice. Like, oh. Well, and that's why certain things aren't, aren't admissible in court, right? Like, don't, right. <laughs> you're, you're turning on me, but like, but yeah, um, some things are inadmissible because it's just people BSing. Um, yeah, yeah. But anyway. I, okay, I so uh, well, let me ask you a question, um, just because you were talking about burning the letters and how it was published 50 years after her death. Do you happen to know who got Lady Susan published? I assume it was someone in the, who was, you know, inherited her, her court, her letters and the estate. And then with her popularity um, after her death was probably capitalizing on that. Oh man, I should know. I meant okay, to well, maybe, look maybe it up. we can, maybe we can look into that and discuss it at the um, top of the next episode. The next, yes, the next or if anybody knows when we put this episode up, they can feel free to comment on the Facebook page. Oh, man, this is going to drive me nuts. I meant to look this up before the um, podcast, but I was busy lurking. I was, I was busy looking at futons and settees and all this. You know, you are time. supposed to be the brains of this operation. Oh, um, you're the brains. I'm the boobs. I mean, the funny. <laughs> um <laughs> Yeah. Uh, no, Kristen, you just moved cross country. It's fine. Don't beat yourself up. Don't worry about it. Okay. I assume, I'm going to assume that she was, she gained in popularity and people were like clamoring okay. for more. And then it's like Tupac where they have to release yeah. like, <laughs> or Michael Jackson. <laughs> yeah. And now it's going to be Prince, right? There's going to be like 20 Prince albums that come out. Yeah. Well, it's nice to think of it too. I mean, she never had a chance to take it and repolish it. It was, it's probably pretty much a first draft and it's, it's fantastic for all that. I loved it. I loved it. I loved it. She wrote it for the entertainment of herself and her family. And it was, it it reminded me of Northanger Abbey, right? The kind of snarky, self-aware. Oh yeah. Everything I loved about Northanger Abbey, I loved about Lady Susan. Okay, so let's give our listeners a brief plot summary. Yes, and I always thought the plot of this book was kind of simple, but, but um, you know, watching the Whit Stillman adaptation, which I have seen, it really, it really forced me to confront how many characters there actually are. So 
to to be to be perfectly blunt, let's set the stage or the easy to you okay. know simple. Let's set the stage. Lady Susan, so, Lady Susan Vernon, Lady Susan Vernon was married to a rich man who was dead. She has a couple one of, like six months ago, like six months ago yes. ish. Exactly. Um, right. And then they sort of got themselves into bad financial straits. Um, and, and they lived in a place called Vernon Castle. <laughs> I mean, they used to be, I mean, she was, you know, and um, so which, but they've reduced, they've been reduced now. Lady Susan and her daughter, they have no money. Uh, they had to sell the estate. They have no place to go. So they, they don't live. They visit to steal a line from the, right. the movie. They, um, and they're bouncing from fronts, you know, these rich estates. They're couch estates. surfing. So rather than going directly to her brother-in-law's house, and she has a brother-in-law, the, the brother of the man who died. His name is Charles Vernon. But she doesn't go there right away. Instead, she goes to stay with some family friends, the Manwarings. Um, in Langford. And, in Langford. And um, Mr. Manwaring uh, is a married man, but he's incredibly charming. And Lady Susan actually just has feelings for him and finds him a delightful, charming man and flirts with him. And not only does she flirt with him uh, shamelessly, but there is another young woman, Miss Manwaring, unmarried woman, um, who is trying to ensnare a rich man named James Martin. So not only does Lady Susan flirt with Manwaring, she flirts with this other rich man, James Martin. And this is a weird machination that she apparently has the ability to do this, but she makes him fall in love with her, Lady Susan, and then transfer his affections to Lady Susan's daughter, Frederica. So she's setting up this rich marriage for her daughter, Frederica, um, with with this rich simpleton, he's a Mr. Rushworth character, James Sir James Martin, and he's a ridiculous, goofy character, and, in the Austin mold. Okay, so and, just, let me let me kind of just break it down simply for people who are just like, what? So Lady Susan's like thirty five, hot, formerly rich, so she needs to get married again to get money again. She yeah. goes to this house where she knows there's these hot guys. She basically has an affair with the married guy, also gets the single stupid guy to fall in love with her and wants him to marry her daughter. So she, she wants to have her married guy on the side and then get Sir James to marry Frederica. Boom. Yes. Yes. And this is a thread throughout the plot is trying to get Sir James to marry, marry Frederica, who is a nice girl and doesn't want to marry an idiot. And that's yeah. pretty much the driver of the plot. And um, at the beginning, th- well, they basically get found out. I mean, this all kind of, it all happens off page before the novel even starts. She's leaving Langford because I think Mrs. Manwaring kind of finds out that Lady Susan and her husband are shacking up. And she's like, oh, no. So it's common knowledge that this has been going on. People know. Yes. Um, and so the Lady Susan uh, gets, sends her daughter to London, and Frederica goes to London. She's not even in the first part of the book. Rather that, Lady Susan goes now because she can't stay at Langford anymore because the females of the family are united against her. Yeah. So she, go, she goes to stay with this unfortunate brother-in-law. Um, and the main letter writer on that side of the story is Catherine, who is married to the brother-in-law. So Catherine, um, and she she knows Lady Susan is a sociopath 
and not yeah, a good person. She knows she's full of it. She knows she's full of it. So Lady Susan writes these flowery letters like, I'd be delighted to join you at Churchill, my dear brother, meet your wife, who, by the way, Lady Susan tried to stop him from marrying. She didn't like Catherine. Yes. Um, and, and Catherine totally sees through her the whole time. Totally sees through her. And that's one of the fascinating things about this story is that when you read the correspondence between the families, that's all polite and flowery. And then when you have these two women sending letters off to other people, they talk so much smack about each other, right? So this is the typical Austin situation of having to be very proper on your face and having very different feelings, you know, inside. And um, when she arrives at, uh, you know, the brother-in-law's house, um, Churchill is the name of the house. She arrives at Churchill. Churchill. And, um, you know, a, uh, a new guy enters the story, Reginald de Courcy, who is actually the brother of this Catherine we were talking about. So he's, a, he's an extended brother-in-law. So Reginald de Courcy comes. He wants to meet Lady Susan. He knows Lady Susan by reputation. In fact, all of London pretty much knows Lady right. Susan is a, a beautiful uh, sociopath who... <laughs> So he's heard about what happened at Langford and he's like, well, I got to meet this lady because who can get a married man to fall in love with her and a single guy? Like who can juggle these many plots at one time? I got to meet her. Um, so he comes into it supposedly with eyes wide open. Yes, but he gets, and he's just kind of, he's just kind of there to watch the shit show. Right. He just wants to like, see it go down. And he's immediately and his trapped sister, in Catherine writes to their mother, very concerned about Lady Susan coming, very concerned about Reginald coming, that he might fall victim to Lady Susan's seductions. Um, but they're all like, oh, Reginald, he's got a good head on, head on his shoulders. He knows who she is. He'll be fine. Her powers are so great, and she is so beautiful. I, I, I like to think of her as this big spider, you know, spinning yes, this web. Yes, yes, like and, Shelob from Lord yeah. of the Rings. <laughs> Wow. And, uh, with maybe and a little less man. murder. With maybe a little less murder. When fandoms collide, everybody. <laughs> <laughs> um, only Arnie could see a murder in this book. Um, exactly. So don't, you've opened the door. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> now I expect, now I expect like Arnie to pop up in my like Google Hangouts to be like, did somebody say shadow plot? <laughs> Yeah, and, and, and what's fascinating, one of the fun and fascinating things about the novella is to see Lady Susan tap dance through all of the allegations against her and convince Reginald that she's the wronged party and that everybody's just trying to slander her and gossip about her. Yes. And um, he totally falls for it. He does. He does. And Catherine watches this with concerned eyes and... Um, at one point, Reginald's father even tries to intercede and says, Reginald, you know, like, don't do this, blah, blah, blah. Don't be an idiot, yeah. And, but, he, you know, with his father, well, we can talk about it more in depth later, but I thought that letter was very interesting because he basically says, you know I'm not going to cut you out, and so my power is very limited, but I can't tell you who to marry, but, you know, please don't marry this woman. <laughs> And when you consider what it would mean for the family line, I mean, she's already 35. Like, she's at the end of her, like, fertile period or whatever. Hey, <laughs> you better watch it. <laughs> I think that's what the, that's what part of the Kristen. assumption was. Oh, my goodness. This, I'm just a dried-up old maid. No, of course that's not true anymore, but I'm sure, you know, that was 
part of the consideration. Mm. If you're a Darcy, you know, and you know, DeCursey sounds a lot like Darcy to me. I've always thought ah. that maybe, I don't know if there's any connection or she just likes the sound of the name or what, but anyway, he's yeah. the head of a rich family and he's got to make the right match. And so this is what people always had to deal with. It's like, Oh, I want to marry who I love in this case. Of course he loves a bad person, but so then when this is all going on, so Lady Susan is getting Reginald to fall in love with her and show herself as being this, like, perfect model woman. Um, Catherine is freaking out. Their mother's freaking out. Um, she, is, Lady Susan, still wants to get Sir James to marry Frederica. And Frederica, who has been put up in, like, a ladies' school, decides to run away and is instantly caught mm-hmm. because apparently she's not very good at running away. Right. Um, and it, Lady Susan always refers to her as being very stupid, which is not true. No. But because uh-huh. Lady Susan is a total sociopath, she refers to her daughter as stupid and stubborn and all this stuff. So Frederica ends up arriving at Churchill. She gets sent to Churchill. Yes, she gets sent to Churchill, and um, then the sort of things things sort of play out. Uh, the next thing that happens after she gets sent to Churchill is that Sir James Martin randomly arrives at Churchill, and all of a sudden, Lady Susan, who's trying to present herself as this loving mother to Reginald, who is a rich man right. who she's trying to ensnare, she has to tap dance around what's happening. So Reginald is a good guy, immediately perceives that, you know, someone is trying to force Frederica into marriage with Sir James Martin, who's an idiot, and he's very troubled by this. So Lady Susan has to tap dance around this, and um, that's sort of fascinating to watch as well. And eventually, um, he, he uh, Frederica becomes so unhappy about the situation that she actually writes a letter and puts it into Reginald's hands. Now, Reginald thinks Frederica is sort of a little idiot. Lady and she Susan, falls in love with Reginald, too. Frederica yeah. starts to fall in love with Reginald. Because apparently he's right. handsome and charming and warm and nice and blah, 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 blah. Yeah. And, who, and who wouldn't right. be in love with him? And, uh, yeah, and so then they quarrel. A lot of the book is just them quarreling and you watching Lady Susan insinuate herself back into his affections. Like he, he realizes she's awful, but wait, no, she convinces him she's not. But then he realizes she's awful again, but she's able to bring him back. Like, it's just, she is amazing. Yeah, she's amazing. As a character. <laughs> what do you, what, so talk know. about what happens. They, uh, so Lady Susan ends up leaving to go to London because she wants to visit her friend Alicia, who is who she's been writing letters to all this time and kind of exposing her true character as just this, like, total catty selfish, money-obsessed schemer. I mean, she's a schemer. There's no other... I can't think of a better word to describe her. She just... She takes joy in plotting. Yeah. And and uh, the, the correspondence between... Oh, my God. She's like Blair Waldorf from Gossip Girl. <laughs> she's the Have you ever watched Gossip Girl, Kristen? No, I've never seen She it. is. She, she is... Only, okay, so this character is like the rich queen bee of New York City elite, right, teenagers? But she is only happy if she's scheming. There always has to be a scheme. Um, and there's a ton of scheming with Lady Susan. And, and the correspondence between Lady Susan and Alicia Johnson, her friend in town, is delightful because they are both the same kind of schemers with the same kind of values. And um, they talk about Reginald de Courcy. It's interesting to hear them talk about the hero outside of the, his context because they actually make a, a little bit of fun of him. And um, Lady Susan especially is like, 
um, a little disturbed that she's always having to justify herself to him. And she's like, oh, a real lover would just take me, you know, like be like, oh, whatever you do is right, darling. And so she's sort of dissatisfied with the quality of his love because it's not all consuming. She doesn't understand the value of making someone with discretion love you. And she's never um, had to work this hard, right? She's never had to work exactly. And um, her unwillingness to sort of um, value that sort of is, is one of the things keys to her undoing, basically. She, she has no conscience, really. Right. Um, but anyway, she goes to London. And guess who shows up in London? Her lover, Manwaring, who is insane. But we find out. We find out while she's in London that she and Reginald have actually become secretly engaged. Yes. Lady Susan and Reginald have become secretly engaged. And when Lady Susan is in London, the guy from Blankford, the married man, man wearing, like you were saying, shows up. And so she starts entertaining him again mm-hmm. and using Alicia to kind of distract, distract Reginald. Reginald. And then Sir James is also showing up <laughs> to get together with Frederica. It's just like a big mess. All of the guys that Lady Susan is trying to manipulate basically all show up. And you know that it, you know what's going to happen. Exactly. And and with the, the big denouement is uh, Reginald finds out finally about her and man wearing. And the series of letters is so interesting because he writes to her and he says, I know what's going on. Yeah. And because he runs into Mrs. Man wearing, right? Yes. Yes. Who is a, a family connection of the Johnsons. So when Reginald is, is there with Alicia, Miss Ma- Mrs. Man wearing comes in and, uh, is sad about her husband. He, he finds out about everything. And it's amazing. He writes to her and he says, I know everything. And she yeah. writes back and she says, I am astonished. And then the next letter is her writing to Alicia and saying, don't worry. I got it under control. Yeah. Your time tomorrow. <laughs> everything will be fine. But she's, uh, she's misjudged him. He actually ha- has a breaking point and she's reached yeah. it with him. He does have a moral backbone. She writes him back. She's like, I can't believe you're writing me this. Like, please come by immediately so I can explain myself. And I think he even writes back and says, why are you writing me back? Yeah. Can't, yeah why did you write He's like, I told you. Like, you're out. You're done. <laughs> I don't ever want to hear from you again. Why are you even bothering to write me back? Mm-hmm. It's kind of like that scene in um, Pretty Woman where he's like, don't answer the phone, but keeps calling her. And she's like, well, then stop calling me. Because if you don't answer <laughs> the phone, stop calling me. But it's like, if you don't want her to write you back, like, stop writing her letter. Stop writing. <laughs> Just ignore it, man. But he's still, yeah, I think I think there's a little part of him that still wants to be convinced because she, mm-hmm. that's the power of her and her seductiveness, you know. But in the end, she, her, um, her lady parts are like made of magic, apparently. Or something <laughs> like that. So let's talk about how things end up. Things end up, well, it, it, she sort of gets her comeuppance because... Um, she says in the beginning, I won't marry Sir James. I'm trying to fob Frederica off onto Sir James. He is the rich guy who is an idiot. And in the end, Lady Susan, having lost the affection of Reginald, has to marry Sir James herself. And so that's her comeuppance, is that she gets to be married to an idiot. But She gets a stupid husband. Yes, and, of course, Frederica, who Lady Susan really doesn't care about, she goes back to Churchill, and everybody forces Reginald to fall in love with Frederica, who's a nice yeah, girl. Yeah, I think 
the there's an epilogue where the narrator kind of, where we have a narrator who kind of fills us in. It says something about how to the detriment of the British postal system, the <laughs> the letter writing cannot continue among these characters. So a narrator steps in, but basically <laughs> um, Frederica is then brought up by Catherine Vernon and her family. And over the years, Reginald is taught to love her or something ridiculous like that. They basically <laughs> like, if your whole family is pushing for it, eventually he kind of comes again, you know, but I always wonder about the happiness yeah. of Frederica and Reginald because her character is developed a little bit, but mainly she's just scared and, um, yeah. obviously has a little bit of backbone, sort of like the Fanny Price-esque, like, right. no, I won't marry this horrible guy. Um, but, uh, you know, the the, reason, the fact that all of Catherine Vernon's family wants um, wants them to get together, I always found a little bit too pat and easy. But, of course, this is like a yeah. starter novel, and, you know, you know yeah. it's just cute, you know. And, yeah, and I think it's fair that it's a couple years later. I mean, who, she's in the house of his sister, so he's going to spend a lot of time with her. These people, I mean, we talk about this a lot. They don't have huge social groups, you know. It's right. like if you went to a small high school, like you're going <laughs> to date the people in your small high school because and they're she doesn't the have, people you know. She doesn't have any money, so it's kind of an emblem of the goodness of that side of the family, you know, Catherine, and, and yeah. that they, they do want her happiness and they do want her to marry to get married yeah. to the brother who's a rich guy, you know, he's like a Darcy, you know, he's like supposed to be carrying on the family line and the fairy family tradition. Right. And rather than forcing, you know, rather than forcing him to get married to like some rich lady. And uh, so, so Frederica and Reginald end up down the line, happily married. Catherine Vernon and her mother, Lady De Corsi, Lady De Orsi, De Corsi, which is like Corsi. They end up happy because he married Frederica, who they all love. And she ends up being a really nice person. Alicia Johnson, Lady Susan's best friend, ends up having to just be married to her middle-aged, gout-ridden. <laughs> <laughs> they make a lot of jokes about his gout, which I found hilarious. And of course, um, it's always like, you know, oh, he never has gout. When, yeah. <laughs> it is convenient gout, inconvenient gout. He never has gout when I want to go to Bath. <laughs> yeah, why can't he have a gout episode then? And then we could actually go. And then Lady Susan ends up married to a really stupid man. But it's not even that much of a comeuppance, right? Because no, he's still rich. And if he's that dumb, she will totally be able to run circles around him and still do whatever she wants. Exactly. And it's that's why I like it. Because she still kind of wins. Yeah, she does. People like that. And people like that do tend to win. (laughs) And that's why it's a wicked good time of a novel. And and, you know, Austin has this this feminist streak where a woman who's smart and has control of her destiny, yeah, why you know that's kind of a good thing. We kind of celebrate that, you know, she's an awesome lady and she yeah. gets her fortune. And, um, this, uh, novella has really one of the funniest endings in Austin, um, because she sort of sums up, she's, she's transitioned from the epistolary style to this sort of epilogue where she's just a narrative narrator now. And she's saying, Oh, you know, lady Susan married James Martin. We don't know how to feel, how sorry to feel for her, but when you consider she only has her conscience and her dumb husband to contend with, and her conscience basically doesn't exist. She's probably fine. Yeah. And then yeah. <laughs> at the end, she says, the only person we really have to feel sorry for is Miss Manwaring, the young Mrs. girl. Yes. Miss- it, the, 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 no, it's, the, it's Miss Manwaring, the young girl who was trying to catch Sir James, who's not really a bit major. Right. And why should we feel sorry for her? Why do we because feel sorry she for was- Miss Johnson? 
Because she went to town and spent two years worth of her clothing budget to be yeah. fashionable in town to try to catch him <laughs> and didn't get him. She was robbed by her, of her due by a woman like 10 years yes. older than her or something. Um, and that's why we I loved that ending. I thought it was, I thought it was, really, it was really <laughs> cute. That's so Austin, you know, like trying to catch a yeah, man. It's so Austin. Awesome. It's so Hashtag Austin. that's so Austin. <laughs> so, so Kristen, let me ask you a question. Do you think that if this book had been written by a man, do you think that Lady Susan's end of the story would have been very different? Lady Susan is a character. Do you think that it would have ended with her like, oh, okay, well, I'll just marry Sir James? Or do you think that it would have been more like a Mansfield Park style, public shaming, often live, lock herself away alone with her shame? I absolutely agree with you. Yeah, I think this is Austin's feminist streak coming out. And of course, she never meant to get it published. And she probably, that's probably one of the reasons why. I mean, she never, be pretty controversial, right? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, right. Especially 50 years before it was actually published. I mean, culture and society can change a lot in 50 years. So, or actually, let's see, it was written in 1794, published 50 years after her death, but it was. 70 years after it was written, if my yeah. math is correct, which is not a guarantee. So things could, I mean, I'm sure women, you know, our plight didn't improve that much in that 70 years. But still, like having written an ending like that and having a character who was very sexually free, um, if not outright stated, implied heavily, would have been, I think, very controversial at the time. Yeah, I think so. I mean, yeah, I think that's a really valid point. Agreed. Which is, of course, why I loved it. I think, what did I say to you? I emailed Kristen, and I was like, she is a total sociopath and amazing, and I love her. Amazing. (laughs) (laughs) And I think everybody who um, gets into the book sort of celebrates her. And uh, with Stillman, um, I went to an... uh, I'm kind of bringing this up when I probably should save it for when we discuss the actual movie and what he did with the the story. But he even said, I would rather um, spend time with the the director of love and friendship. Yes. Okay. He's like, I would rather do this adaptation than Emma. I would rather spend time with a delightfully wicked main character than sort Mm -hmm. of an idiot who's causing chaos wherever she goes blindly. Um, Because you Mm -hmm. take so much delight in and watching Lady Susan and, and what she does. And it's true. And, um, and, and that's, that's the appeal of, of the Crawfords as well. I mean, yeah. we fall in love with them a little bit, um, even yeah. off of the page, just because you have to respect that sort of skilled social ability to manipulate. Right. But, and I mean, um, that's the reason why people love Maleficent and Sleeping Beauty. Like, nobody cares about Aurora, right? Aurora's boring. <laughs> like, Maleficent is, she got her own movie. She got, like, a spinoff movie <laughs> with Angelina Jolie because she's, um, she's awesome yeah. and badass and evil and wicked, and we just love wicked people. Now, in real life, we don't love wicked people. Yeah. And I think if Lucy was a real person, we would not like her. And maybe this is another thing to bring up. Would we like uh, Lady Susan just as much if she was Henry Crawford writing letters and not Lady Susan? Oh, if she was a man. Yeah. Because there's Um, a little bit of, of, um, you can feel like she, you know, in that, especially in that world, you know, men had the upper hand to have, so to say, I would not, I would not like that character. Yeah. Because you can almost respect, yeah. Yeah. Ladies doing it for themselves, you know, like, yeah, women, because you know, the men, the men have the power mm-hmm. 
in that so society, she's just in that subverting that power. Exactly. Yeah, so he, if, if a man was writing those letters and treating women like that, it's such a switch of the power dynamic that it then becomes like gross and kind of abusive yeah. and using your power like to try to like get all these women who have the only thing that they have of themselves is getting married. Um, and that's, like, I guess yeah. why we respect lady Susan. She's, she's a striver. She's working right. in a world that's harder for her to, to do that. Right. So. It's like working girl. She's really just like Tess McGill in working girl. She's just trying to like get her way to the top, manipulate <laughs> the system. <laughs> I'm just our ability to, these references. Do you like this? I'm just dropping pop culture references tonight. I, our, our ability to re- re- relate Austin to uh, <laughs> like chick flicks. To like <laughs> late <way>. 80s <laughs> movies. <laughs> we won't be like Arnie and say that they're directly influenced. But, uh, you know, hey, the themes are universal. Yeah. And they, they are still well, the best. It also might be hard to say that Lady Susan directly influenced has directly influenced no, anybody. anybody. <laughs> it's very little known. It's not like a, right. um, I will, I will um, plug it for people who haven't read it, who might be listening to this. Uh, it is very, it's a quick read. It is, it's very, I would say it's a novella really. Yes. It's a novella. It's, this, yeah. yeah. It's not long. You can, you, you can read it. Right. it. The only difficult yeah. thing about it is just trying to keep track of, who is writing to who because they would use like Lady Vernon and you have to remember that's Catherine, like, Oh, that's Catherine. That's her sister-in-law. You have to kind of keep track of the relationships of the characters. Mm-hmm. Um, but once you get that down, once you get the characters down, you'll just whip right through it. It's so fun. It's frothy. It's fun. It moves you quickly. Can do it. We believe in you. And you know, yes. um, it, you know, it's even it's even said explicitly stated with um, Lady Susan and her friend Alicia writing to each other. They're talking about Reginald and getting him. And then Alicia yeah. Johnson says, "You know, James Martin is in town. You know, I'm trying to keep things cool. If I were you, I would just marry the dumb rich guy because you, yeah. you have all the riches. I mean, that's on the table. That is not like yeah. the, the the disastrous." Uh, circumstances and in the um the way that they write to each other is so delightful and when you start reading the story the first uh the first letter i almost said email which is really funny the first letter you could do an updated version of this through email (laughs) you totally could which would be really funny (laughs) you could really just do an updated version of this novel in a modern setting (laughs) the uh the first letter is short it's from lady vernon to Catherine, saying i'd love to come visit you and it's very proper and then immediately goes into a a letter from lady susan to her friend alicia which is totally different in tone and style oh god like i have to get out of langford like the jig is up i've written my brother (laughs) yeah yeah, it's such a bummer oh it's gonna be awful going there and and she even says she's like um later on no what she says in the first letter is oh i can't wait to meet your children you know and pretends to have this family (laughs) interest and later she says to Alicia, she's like, I've learned one of them, their, yes. the name already. Oh, and my God. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm this was so great. This was so great. Where I would be delighted to stay with you at Churchill and visit with my brother and your delightful family, who I regret that I have not gotten to know, blah, blah, blah. And then to Alicia, she's like, I actually learned all the kids' names. Like, it's this big... <laughs> ordeal. They probably have, like, two or three kids, right? Yeah. They don't have, like, a litter of like 10 <laughs> children running around. But it's so, she's just like, I even learned their names. Like I'm really trying to get her. Like, 
Like, yeah. she just doesn't call them, like, the blonde one and the brown-haired one. <laughs> oh, those little rugrats. Yes, and oh, one of them, children. she even says, oh, I'm going to take little Frederick on my lap and sigh over him for his uh, his dear uncle's sake, her departed husband's sake, mm-hmm. and pretend to see a likeness and all this stuff. And it's, like, it's choreographed to the max. Yes, <laughs> it's choreographed. That is... That is a beautiful way of discussing it. Um, and another, like another thing is when she and Reginald quarrel, and he says, you, you know, this is when they're at Churchill, and they quarrel over Frederica and Sir James, you know, and he's like, why are you forcing her into marrying him, blah, blah, blah. So they quarrel. And then Reginald goes into the living room, and he announces to his sister, Catherine, he's like, I'm leaving. Yeah. And then... Bring, the, bring my horse. Immediately. Like the, the coach was called for or something like that. That's right. And then Lady Susan just says, oh, writes to him and says, please come into my dressing room. And so he comes and they have this talk and it immediately changes his mind. And one of the things she does is she's like, no, you stay. I must leave. Yes. <laughs> and she says something like, I've heard that you are leaving and I hope that it is not any, like any fault of mine, nothing that I have done that would drive you away I would never but break she's up angry. a family party, you know, like you deserve She's to be- angry. She's upset because Frederica, she's trying to get Frederica to marry Sir James. And Frederica, like, obviously cannot convince Lady Susan otherwise. So like you said, she writes Sir Reginald, she writes Reginald the letter to like, please convince my mother not to make me marry this awful guy. So Lady Susan is very pissed off that Frederica, like, went outside the chain of command. <laughs> <laughs> So that's why they have um, this big row because Frederica wrote Reginald a letter and spilled the like got him involved in their business. It's and she's just there are a number of things that she just tap dances around like that. I'm trying to think of more examples. Right, and that. I and I think what there's an interesting idea in here that as I said, Austin carried carried on later. But um, I actually think that in in Austin. The most, um, the characters that she rewards, the most moral characters, are the people who are able to bring their true selves in line with what society expects of them. So, you know, in other words... They don't have to compromise. They don't have to compromise. People like Mary Crawford and and Henry Crawford are always keeping their true snarky observation back or their money motivated observations back because they have to present themselves like the, 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 you know, the good little girls and boys that they were all supposed to be. And you know, the, the Bertram's the same thing. And that was what's so fascinating about Mansfield park. And here we have this huge disparity between what lady Susan presents to the world and what she really thinks and feels. And if you, if you are too good at managing those two different personalities, I think that there's a there's a little bit of a moral consequence to that, and um, I think that's one of the things she's, she's sort of saying. So those who can bring their true feelings into most into alignment with what society demands, right. they think and feel, um, it, you know, that's an achievement that Austin celebrates, and that will never. I mean, we'll never get there. I mean, sometimes you're just too smart. <laughs> to, you yeah. know, to, you just. You just understand what's going on at a higher level. The thing about Reginald is that he's not playing the game at all. And so he's totally sincere. And so he's totally in love with her. And um, with, with Manwaring, her other love, lover, he's described in the, um, in the uh, letters that she, when she's talking about him, he's described as always having, always having the, cl- uh, the, 
the right thing to say to put you in good humor with yourself and all the world. And so he's a little bit slick like that too. Well, he's like a Wickham character, it sounds like. So I, I okay, so Kristen, let me ask you a question. Do you think that, and I got this impression, I wouldn't go so far as to say that Lady Susan loved Reginald, but did you get the impression that she did genuinely like him and she was starting to develop actual feelings for him? It wasn't just a game to play while she was there. It seemed to me like you kind of read between the lines of some of her letters and she did actually start to like him. What do you think, actually? Let me ask you. Uh, well, I did. I felt like, and then so when he wrote her, it was like, I know everything. Um, and of course, she's trying to like get him back. But I did get the feeling that there was some regret there um, that she mm-hmm. did actually. And you could, again, drawing a, a, drawing a comparison between her and Henry Crawford is really interesting. And I think it's really spot on. Because we had this conversation about Henry Crawford. Like, do you think he really loved Fanny? And the narrator tells us that he did. Um, And I wouldn't say that Lady Susan loved Reginald, but I think it was clear that she was starting to develop real feelings for him. Yeah. And, you know, she even says that at the beginning. She says when she's talking to Alicia, she's like, I I think I said this before, but she's like, I'm a romantic at heart. And um, she does, I mean... That's part doesn't of the reason. Doesn't she joke why? and say, maybe I will just marry him? Doesn't she say that like as a joke? Yeah. Like, oh, but when she says that, you're kind she of like, I think she might drink. kind of mean that. And the, the whole thing about him and Frederica is that he just seems so discerning that um, she never just gets any real color to her character. And mm-hmm. so you don't get as invested in that relationship as you sort of get invested in Lady Susan's more, you know, um, she's less of a, you know, a valuable, you know, a valuable person or whatever, but that's just so much more interesting. Right. <laughs> her, right. her romantic life. I, so anyway, I'm really looking forward for you to see the movie because um, Whitstillman did some really interesting things with the characters. And he also, by the way, did a novelization. Oh, of, interesting. Yes. So he, you can so he took, he took a novel, adapted it to a film, and then wrote a, a novel from his screenwrite, from his screenplay. Yes, so you can read Lady Susan oh. not in epistolary form. And um, it's, in, it's clever. I mean, when I first started reading it, it felt like Austin fanfic to me because yeah. nobody can write like Austin. And um, I, I've tried to, re- I'll admit to reading a lot of Austin fanfic in, in search. I, I find that shocking and I can't believe <laughs> that you would read Austin fanfic. Now, when you say Austin fanfic, are you talking about the novels that are published or are you talking about like 2 a.m. you're up on the internet like in some forgotten corner of reddit like reading weird fanfic that someone has written be honest internet fanfic all the way oh yeah (laughs) (laughs) um i've also read a slash adaptation which i did what it is an actual um but of this of lady susan or of oh of pride and prejudice i'm sorry i did oh, okay. but, uh, but yeah no, i would pre- believe like lady susan and alicia like at school experimenting. <laughs> yeah oh my god because that it's the quality of female friendship which is um present in so many of austin's novel when you think novels when you think about it um the the, the core relationship that main characters in Austin have, not only are we interested in their romantic relationships, but often they don't have a lot of screen time with the man that they love. They right. have the screen time with, so it's Elizabeth and Jane, 
right. Eleanor Marianne, uh, Catherine Moreland, and Isabella Thorpe, and later Catherine Moreland and Eleanor Tilney, right? So that's Northern Abbey. And then Emma and her erroneous choice of her female friend, right. you know, <laughs> but also Emma and uh, Miss Taylor. So right. it's always that there's a core yeah. female friendship that I think. Also Although Emma is interesting. Emma is interesting in that her love interest starts out almost like a, not a female friend, but like a brother, like a family member where, because this is a function of the time where women would not be unchaperoned with a potential love interest. Um, except in Emma's case, it's almost like he was uh, her brother. He was her neighbor. They grew up around each other. So for her to be with Mr. Knightley, it wasn't a big deal. They could go walk together alone or right. uh, shoot at each other's dogs. And it was okay. <laughs> <laughs> as showed in the movie. And, uh, in, the, uh, in the Emma Hunger Games mashup that will be coming to a theater near you. And, you know, it's always the... Um, <laughs> Actually, that I would totally pay money to watch that. Um, <laughs> Pride and Prejudice and Zombies and Emma and the Hunger Games. Emma and the Hunger Games. Emma, I don't know if she would be a good Hunger Games contestant. I feel like she would be very ruthless, actually, like a Katniss. Yeah, Indian she figure. would be very ruthless. She would, <laughs> she would be like a Cersei. Okay, a more pop culture reference. She'd be like a Cersei Lannister <laughs> in that she's extremely ruthless, but not as smart as she thinks she is. <laughs> yeah. So her attempts to form and her attempts to, what is it they call it? Oh, God, my brain is shutting down. Um, in Hunger Games where they, they um, get friends and alliances. Her attempts to form alliances with other players would probably end badly. <laughs> and by badly, I mean by being horribly killed. Yeah, most likely. I don't think you could root for her to be the winner of the Hunger Games. I think you'd have she would be the villain. Um, she certainly wouldn't have cared about Rue. She would have been like, Rue, yeah. you, <laughs> you, you don't matter. She's from my rich district, but she's never been hungry. So she would get desperate really quickly. Oh, that would be so interesting. Oh, my God. The fanfic is writing itself. Um, <laughs> because Emma's never been hungry. So she would be like one of, from one of the districts, like District 1 or 2. So as soon as she did get hungry, she would get really desperate and make really awful decisions and turn very savage. Any prize great. Would be crying in the corner. Miriam be crying in the corner. I think Eleanor Dashwood would win the Hunger Games. Oh, I oh, actually, oh my god! <laughs> oh my god! We need to write like a Austin heroines or characters fanfic Hunger Games where they're just tossed into the arena. You've seen the uh, Jane Austen Fight Club. Have you, have you, have no. you seen Jane Austen Fight Club? No. Oh, yeah. It's a, it's a, oh, I have to paste, post it on the Facebook page. It's this hilarious internet uh, video, <laughs> obviously. Yeah, the Jane Austen Fight Club, and it's all the heroines, and they... Oh, my know, God. It's, it's like cute. epic rap battles. Through, except I would say... <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> oh, my God. We have to have Austen characters do epic rap battles. <laughs> Oh my god! I, I actually, <laughs> I actually think Lady Susan would win the Hunger Games. <laughs> Wait, is there no um, Eleanor would be Eleanor would be really good in that she's very practical, and she is. We're gonna have to do a whole other episode. Yeah, who would win the Hunger where Games? Where we just like break down a Hunger Games. <laughs> so we're not gonna spend too much time talking about it now, but that will be a future episode. Yeah. I. I will make this promise on yeah, air. Yeah, I think we need to do that. I mean, I, I... When we run out of novels and we have to come up with bullshit to talk about to fill <laughs> podcasts, we and will go the, back and we and will do a Hunger Games Austin characters. And you know what? I'm going to say 
that this podcast has been such good therapy for me that I'm actually fine with that. I, there there would have been a time where I would have been afraid to do such a podcast because of the ridicule that would be surely heaped upon me. But that's the whole point of this podcast. (laughs) That's our own mission statement, Kristen. That's why, oh my God, I'm so glad though that you feel that this is helping you because the mission statement is to like not care about the haters. And yet I understand you feel like, but I do care about the haters, but no, (laughs) no. We don't care about the haters. All out we'll do like we'll do a Hunger Games style discussion, and we can also do a like Jane Austen's superlatives, like whose house you'd most want to dine at. <laughs> um, we'll just come up with some like ridiculous categories, and people can vote. Oh my god, we'll post them on the Facebook page, and then people can vote, and that'll be another future episode when we need to fill up time. With regard to Austen fanfic. Um, I don't think I've read a whole lot of Lady Susan. I don't think there's a lot of Lady Susan fanfic. Well, again, it's not very, but this is but rife for fanfic. It is because it's all letters too. Yeah. And, and um, I have to admit, especially being really young and being obsessed with Pride and Prejudice and having never read, you haven't not read the other novels. I went on, so this was in the nineties and there's this website, the Republic. The of internet was first born. Yeah. The Republic of Cumberwee. Um, and people were posting fanfic all over that thing. And there were definitely some bedroom scenes. I mean, people let their imaginations go, which is fine. I support that. Um, but, yeah, you quickly realize that it's not scratching any kind of um, neat, like, itch. Um, yeah. It's weird phrasing. But, you know, it's not, it's not really filling that need you have for more, more Austin because it's just um, – you know, playtime. All of a sudden, we're taking yeah. these characters and we're we're putting them into all these packed situations. So what, what's okay. Really- well, let me ask you. Bringing it back to Lady Susan, let me ask you another question, which is kind of related to this fanfic thing. If you were going to read correspondence between two characters in Lady Susan who don't ever write each other, mm. which characters would you want to read their letters? So maybe they don't even really meet, but if you were going to read someone writing a letter to someone else that does not correspond in the book, what, <laughs> excuse me, um, who would you choose? What would you think about Manwaring himself, oh, himself and and Alicia Johnson talking about... I was definitely going to say Alicia Johnson. I want to read with Alicia Johnson. I want to hear more about her husband's gout, first of all. Yeah, first of all. <laughs> <laughs> Um, there is some. There is somebody who because wrote. doesn't he come? So who does it that Alicia keep like? So Manwaring goes to Lady Susan's apartment in or like hotel room, whatever in London every afternoon. He spends time with her every afternoon, a little afternoon delight, if you know what I'm saying. <laughs> but then Alicia is tasked with keeping someone busy during that time. Who is it that she is? I can't remember. Is it um, is Reginald? She's Reginald. supposed to yeah. right. Okay, yeah. so Alicia writing to Manwaring and Manwaring writing to Alicia. Maybe mm-hmm. setting this up. Setting, right? this, yeah, setting the stage and like referring to Lady Susan and in the most glowing of terms and how much they love her. I, I think that would be uh, cute yeah. because he's supposed to be a very charming man. Yeah. So I'm and there's, well, there's only two, well, there are only two male characters who write letters. One letter from Reginald and Catherine Vernon's father. Lord Dors de Courcy. Yeah. And then Reginald gets, I think, three letters, two of which are very short. 
That's fascinating. And that's, that's another like feminist thing about this that I, I never even occurred to me. Yeah. Now I'm sure a lot of that, you could say that a lot of that makes sense because the women would have the time to correspond for leisure and for social purposes. Um, Lord de Courcy, I'm sure doesn't have a lot of time for social correspondence because he it does the Lord of an estate mm. and Reginald is the heir, but he, when he's hanging out at Churchill, he's probably not doing a lot of business. Um, unless he's like getting with Lady Susan, <laughs> but you know what I mean. Like it's kind of like women would be the ones who would write. Yeah, they, they're, these they're sort of the, letters. The art but still, it's pretty. It, yeah, it definitely stuck out to me when I was reading it that this is almost fully female voices in this yes. book in this novel. Well, good, which I thought was really interesting. So I think that that probably is what all I have to say really about Lady Susan. Yeah. I don't know if we want to wrap it up here for now. Um, it's just a very fun, light. If you liked yeah. Northanger Abbey, you will really like you Lady love Susan. It. If you want an intro to Austen, I think this is actually really good. It is epistolary, and none of her other published novels are epistolary. But if you want an intro to Austen that's short, that's fun, uh, this is a really this will serve you very yeah. well. Just pick it up. It takes an evening evening to listen to. I mm-hmm. read it while I was on the treadmill, and it just took like a couple sessions. It didn't. Take yeah. a huge amount. Did I say um, listen so, to? I mean, I meant read. I'll be, read, obviously. Oh, well, you know what? I did. Um, speaking of which, I read it, and then earlier, um, a couple days ago, just to kind of refresh my memory, I listened to oh, really? the audiobook, which was the part of Lady Susan was read by the actress who you really am, um, Harriet Wal- Walter, who was an Emma, who oh. played um, uh, Mrs. Elton. Oh. And we had, when we were talking about Emma, the film, you mentioned that she yes. reads a lot of Austen novels and is excellent. What is, is that her name? What is her name? Juliet Stevenson is her name, if I'm not mistaken. Juliet, somebody, is the one I was thinking that plays Mrs. Elton in the Gwyneth. Okay, novel. well, oh, hang on a second. Let me confirm. I've got my little phone here. If Bay was here, he could do it. We're, we're Sans producer, which is why this episode has gone completely <laughs> off the rails. Uh, <laughs> I don't know if it's gone off the rails. I mean, okay, well, Harriet Walter, she has definitely been in Austin. She, oh, she was in Sense and Sensibility. That's what it is. Oh, My bad. She was a really funny um, sister-in-law in Sense and Sensibility. Who? Oh yeah, yeah, okay. yeah. For when the, yeah. when the girl who's a character who confesses that she's secretly engaged. Um, to her brother, she has a secret engagement. And then she goes, what? And like pulls her hair oh, yeah. and like throws her. Yeah. yeah. Um, anyway, yeah, she okay. reads Lady Susan's letters in the audiobook I listened to. And it's fantastic. It's excellent. Good. So it's good. Highly recommend. I think I just got it from the library. I found it um, from my, as an e-audiobook from my library. Okay. Um, so do we have any old business to discuss? I don't think we have any uh, old business other than thank you. Um, we get a couple of emails that we really appreciated mm-hmm. and we love hearing from you. And we heard from someone in Australia. Who that was a delightful a- email. It was so Australian. <laughs> the the way. And also I was told to lay off the sauce, uh, oh, yes. which is why, <laughs> which is why, well, I also went to four wineries last night. So sorry. Um, <laughs> Uh, we did, Bay and I did a wine tour yesterday, but I am not drinking tonight. And I took the advice of our listener and emailer who was like, Maggie, you might not want to drink so much wine uh, when podcasting. I think yeah. uncouth might have been yeah. No, I'm very guilty of that as well over the last two episodes because of the stress of the move. I drank a lot. I used the podcast as a, 
excuse to drink a lot. And I don't want to present that necessarily. It's always drunk Christian. So I, I did not I drink either. Understand. I mean, they know that you're not like a booze hound. Um, obviously, so. you're very intelligent and very well spoken. And when we get oh, together, thank you. when we get together, this podcast, it's like getting a glimpse at our letters where we can just kind of like oh, yeah. be our, yeah, we're, we're, we can, can be, be our wicked selves, selves right? Yeah, wicked selves. Yeah, That's it's right. like it's like listening to a girls' night where we where we literally would sit around and talk about Austin um, and drink wine. You're getting to peek that that facet of our personalities of our correspondence with one another. So people know Kristen, and I I have only heard positive things about Tipsy Kristen on the podcast. Oh. People <laughs> good. Okay, good. Well, I kind of when I was when I was editing the uh, movie commentary, I kind of came to the mortifying realization that when I'm drunk, I actually am as not quite as funny as I think I am. I'm just sort of louder and cruder. So <laughs> I don't think that's true. Good, I think that you are very funny. funny. Well, I think and that watching you, th- I think that watching you think that you're funny when you're drunk is funny. <laughs> so. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So I loved listening to it. <laughs> I was like being delighted by myself and laughing at all my own jokes. Um, good. Okay. Well, then, thank you. I kept getting emails. I kept getting emails from Kristen when she was editing it. Like, why am I singing? Why am I trying to talk with an English accent? It's so awful. Why do I think it's funny? Oh, I'm so sorry. I'm like, shut up, people. No, I'm like, shut up, Kristen. It's lovely. People, it's so cute. People love it. She's like, I know I can never listen to myself again. (laughs) (laughs) Well, thank you very much. Yeah, there was a lot of singing and a lot of British accenting going on. It was mortifying to have to edit that one, but thank you. Um, and thank you to everybody who listens. And the, the Australian person, I won't say your name because I actually didn't ask if I could. Um, but uh, thank you. And she has a boyfriend who loves Austin. Yes, so good for her. Congratulate her. She found one. So thank you for emailing us. We love getting emails. I'm not um, using hyperbole there. We really do love getting emails. Kristen, why don't you share our email address? Our email address is firstimpressionspodcast at gmail.com. And um, you can put the dots, first.impression.podcast, or you you can leave them off either way. And you can also find our Facebook page at First Impressions Podcast on Facebook, which we update a couple times a week with things. Kristen shared a very hysterical meme uh, a couple days ago featuring Darcy Hipster, uh, Mr. Darcy as a hipster, which people really enjoyed. Yeah, I... I said, yeah, Maggie's good at Facebook. If you ever see a post on the Facebook page and you think that's kind of a square post, that one came from me. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I also post when I post, I do it in the voice of a, um, like our fake imaginary social media coordinator. We're all referred to us in the third person, (laughs) like Maggie, Kristen, our blah, 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 you know, totally just me. (laughs) But I like to pretend like we have a staff. Um, and that we have a social media <laughs> coordinator who's in charge of our, our Facebook posts. And so has to write like very formal and refer to us in the third person. <laughs> yes, exactly. Well, we're also making mega millions on this podcast guys. Clearly. Oh yeah. We should start getting, you know, I listen to a lot of podcasts and they always have, um, you know, they do ads in the middle and they have sponsors. And so, I mean, we can get yeah. audible. <laughs> yeah. They always get audible or like stamps.com. Um, I wonder who we could get to be good. Like the mattress companies, Casper or whatever. Yes. It's some like weird, like shit, rich white people buy company (laughs) where 
where it's like $20 socks or something like that. I listened to this great podcast called The Black Tapes, which is really creepy. I super recommend it, by the way. But they their ads are for like stamps.com or like some kind of weird socks. And you're like, really? What would, be a, what would be a good sponsor for us, Kristen? Or maybe I'll make this a Facebook page question. Like who, who should we ask to sponsor the podcast? What would be a good match? I can't really think of anything. It's kind of a niche audience. <laughs> maybe, yeah. I was going to say Jasmine should sponsor us, but they don't really. Or do a winery. Or a, a winery. <laughs> How about an Idaho winery that needs the exposure? Oh, yes, but we don't have an Idaho listenership except for my husband. So I don't You said Kevin doesn't actually listen to the podcast. They do download onto his phone. So it looks like we have an Idaho <laughs> listener. Um, they do auto downloads every time I see one from Idaho. Yeah, Idaho needs to step up their game. So maybe yeah, if I Idaho maybe if it. I make some friends in Boise, which I don't have any friends in Boise, but maybe if I make one, then oh. they'll have an Idaho listenership. But you know who we, where we do have a, a listener, everybody? Saudi Arabia. So wow. amazing. So welcome that is really cool. Saudi Arabia. <laughs> so Kristen, Kristen, when are you going to out yourself to your um, work colleagues that you do a Jane Austen podcast? You know, I've been so drunk on some of these episodes that I'm not sure I should. You have not been but, that drunk, though. That's the thing. You think you are, but you're totally um, comprehensible. Oh, thank you. They'll make excellent points. It's not like you fall out of frame. <laughs> it's that one time I did go like this in front of your face to get more wine. Though. <laughs> um, but that was just funny. I mean, that was just, you know, yeah. that was just funny. Okay. okay. Um, so we need more Idaho. Do we have any states that are not represented? Do you know yes. off the top of your head? We don't have the Dakotas. All right. Dakota, um, step it up. If you guys, listeners, if you know anyone in Idaho, North Dakota, South Dakota, we're all uh, I'm sure the Plains states could use more representation. Yep. Right. Plains states. We don't have Louisiana. Um, I do not believe we have Nebraska. Uh, Ooh, so, Nebraska. <laughs> okay. So, yeah. So maybe we can travel to these places and do live podcasts and yeah, try to right, get people. Right, exactly. Yeah. So we need some exposure there. Um, Hello, but- Omaha. <laughs> <laughs> Alabama, Mississippi, nobody. So they need to step up their okay, Austin. We gotta get the southern states. Okay, deep south, deep step south. up. Yeah, cool. All right. Well, thank you everyone for listening. We had a really good time. So we will be back soon with a love and friendship discussion to compare, contrast, novel, film. Yes, and I'm really looking forward to it. And there's a ton to say. And I have an amazing story about me and Whit Stillman, who are now best friends, that I have not even told Maggie that I'm oh saving. Okay, well, don't tell me before because then I'll have something to look forward to. Yes. Okay. All right. Thanks, everybody. Talk to you soon. All right. Thanks, everyone. (laughs) Bye.